0: oftentimes when we um, when I come up and offer prayer as we did this morning uh, people are often asking to uh, offer prayer for our nation because we believe our nation needs prayer and uh, of course um, we pray for our leaders because our leaders need prayer and we also need leadership, and uh, we may be living in a time when there is a leadership vacuum within our nation, and so it's fitting that today's message is about leadership. When we look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 20, it's about leadership. It's about Nehemiah's leadership. That's what the whole passage is about. So what do we mean when we use the word leadership? What comes to mind when we say the word leadership? If I were to ask you to define it in a single word, what word would you say defines leadership? Integrity. Integrity. What's that? Integrity. Integrity? Strength. This be able to make decisions, right? Influence, right? You could characterize leadership in many different ways, and they're all accurate. The late President Harry Truman often referred to leaders as people who can get others to do what they don't want to do and make them like doing it. It's <laughs> true. That's tough to do, though, isn't it? especially when you have several different kinds of people and they have different viewpoints. True leadership is able to get people who have different political views and different theological views together to accomplish a common goal. That's what true leadership is able to do, right? If there was ever a leader who was able to get others to do a task... And create in others a desire to want to do the task it was Nehemiah he was a very successful leader but how did he become such a successful leader how was he able to get God's people to commit themselves to do a good work for God how is he able to do that now we may all, all be leaders. This would be a good message to give to people coming out of seminary as they uh, go to their first church. But we all are leaders, aren't we? If you're a Christian, we're called to make disciples, and you can't make disciples unless you're leading them to some capacity. So we're all leaders in some sense, right? So how was Nehemiah able to become a successful leader. This passage here, verses 11 to 20, in Nehemiah chapter 2, is, a, is a, uh, a model passage that gives us a roadmap to be successful leaders in whatever field that we may find ourselves in. This is how Nehemiah becomes a a successful leader and is able to bring all different kinds of people together for a common purpose, to do a good work for God. This is what he does. Now, remember last week that Nehemiah, in the first chapter, he prayed. He was a man of prayer. And we all know that to do a good work for God begins with prayer. Okay? And then he went before the king, and he asked the king if he could go to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And, of course, the king had a policy, which you couldn't do that. But it was Nehemiah's faith that caused him to be successful before the king and allowed him to go from Susa to Jerusalem, okay? So he was a man of prayer, a man of great faith, and now we're going to see he's a great man of leadership. Which raises the question, how do leaders successfully lead God's people to commit themselves to do a good work? The first four points in this this uh, passage of Scripture are four uh, 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 points that are necessary at the beginning of one's leadership role that will be necessary for one to be successful in leading people to do a good work. Remember, Nehemiah is a person coming from uh, Susa, and now he's going to come to Jerusalem. He's going to enter into a new role, and he comes as the governor of Jerusalem. So he's a leader, and now he's going to come to Jerusalem as a new leader. So what's he going to do? The first thing that he's going to do is take the time to get acclimated to his new environment. That's the first thing a leader will do to be successful is he's going to go there or she and become acclimated to their new environment. Beginning verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Doesn't do anything. He goes to Jerusalem. He doesn't make these wholesale sweeping changes. He doesn't know Jerusalem. He hasn't been there. So he doesn't, have any, he doesn't have any history, no point of reference to make any kinds of major sweeping changes. The first thing he does is for three days is he gets himself acclimated and accustomed to his new surroundings before anything else. When a person gets called to be a pastor of a church, it is unwise for the pastor or any leader to go into a new situation and make wholesale sweeping changes. You've got to allow the leader, any individual, to get acclimated to their new position. You start a new job, even if you're a leader or not a leader, if you're an employee, the first thing you need to do is to get acclimated to your new environment. That's what's going to enable you to become successful, right? He's now in Jerusalem, and he's going to get acclimated to his new environment. That's the first thing he does. Secondly, Nehemiah is successful in leading God's people to commit themselves to do a good work for God because he surrounds himself with individuals that he can trust. Verse 12, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. Stop there. That's what he does. As a leader, after he acclimates himself to his new environment or in the process of that, what does he do? He takes a few men with him. Now, what he's trying to do here, what he's going to do, he's going to go at night, and he's going to view the wall. That's his purpose. Now, why is he only taking a few men with him? Well, these are people that he trusts. He knows that as he goes to Jerusalem, he's very well aware that there are people there who are Jews who are antagonistic to his building project and will be. And he knows that those people in Jerusalem are going to go to Sanballat, and, and, and they're going to go to his enemies, and they're going to talk about the fact that, oh, this guy has a building project in mind. He wants to rebuild the city that the king had stopped long before. He doesn't want no one to know that this is going on. So he's going to take some people that he trusts. Obviously, if he's taking, them, if he's taking these individuals with him to view the wall, he trusts them enough to do so, Right? you're not going to just take anybody on this secret mission. You're going to take people with you on this secret mission that you trust. Any leader who plans on being successful in whatever task they want to do when you first start the task is to surround yourself with people that you can trust and depend upon and get counsel from. That's what he's doing. You see it? Okay. Thirdly, Leaders that are successful in leading God's people to commit themselves to do a good work for God will be people of few words at the beginning of their calling. Continuing in verse 12, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. The first thing he does, he doesn't say, he doesn't say anything you know, because he knows he's new. People don't know who he is. He's a governor, but you don't just come around and start throwing your weight around and start thinking like you know it all. You're quiet. There's no need to say anything. You have to earn their respect and earn their trust, right? And he knows that. I had a friend of mine, uh, when we got out of high school, he ended up getting on the town council. I don't know how many people there were on the council. must have been 12 people or so. And it would be on television. So I would turn it on. I wanted to see how he was going to react and how he was going to respond as a town council member with people who are much older, much more experienced than he was. And so I would turn it on, and they would start discussing issues and ideas, and he never said a word. He didn't say anything, which was boring for me. I wanted to hear him say something. But he understood that he, though he was a leader on the town council, he didn't have much experience. The people didn't know him. He didn't know them. The best thing for him to do was Keep quiet and listen and learn. As a leader, he's doing this, right? So this is what's going to make him successful as a leader when he starts off as a leader. He's going to be quiet and be a person of few words. And that's good for pastors to, to, to be as well. People of few words. You have to get up and speak because this is part of your job. But you got out of the pulpit, you really don't say that much person of few words, wisdom. And fourthly, leaders that are successful in leading God's people to commit themselves to do a good work for God will not seek to draw attention to themselves. Continuing in verse 12, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. What's the significance of only having one animal with him? Remember when he came to Jerusalem, he came with a whole entourage to show that he had the support of the king. The fact that he's only using one animal here at this nighttime journey is he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. He doesn't want to get caught or noticed about what he's doing. Leaders will be successful when they have as their goal not to draw attention to themselves. Leaders need to hear this today. Because leaders are not supposed to be the, 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 in the spotlight for the purpose of soaking up the glory. That's not the reason. Isn't that true? And too many leaders today, whether in church or outside the church, are seeking attention for themselves. And that's not the motivation to have. Here, Nehemiah did not want the attention. Billy Graham was interviewed on Primetime Live in December of 1992. It replayed an impressive overview of his years in ministry and gave a very poignant conclusion. Dr. Graham was sitting somberly in a chair when he was asked, what do you want people to say about you when you're gone? He responded by saying, I don't want people to say anything about me. I want them to talk about my Savior. The only thing I want to hear is Jesus saying, well done, my good and faithful servant but I'm not sure I'm going to hear that. His genuine humility is one more reason why God has so powerfully used Billy Graham. A leader who is going to be successful is a leader who does not seek to draw attention to themselves. That's why he becomes successful. So those are four very important points. When a leader starts a new position, wherever you may be, four things need to happen. You need to to get acclimated to your environment. You need to surround yourselves with individuals that you can trust. You have to be a person of few words at the beginning of your service and not seek to draw attention to themselves. Once you do that, then that leads to the next point. After you have some seasoning, this is what happens with Nehemiah as a leader. He has a clear vision of the work that God has called him and his people to do. Verse 13. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. What does he do? He's viewing the wall. He's seeing the work that needs to be done. He knows he wants to build the wall. He had that that dream in his heart in Susa but he, hasn't, he doesn't know what the walls look like. So what's he going to do? He's going to take a secret mission out at night so he can actually see the work that needs to be done. He's getting a vision in his mind of what needs to be done. And any successful leader is going to have a clear vision from Almighty God to do the work that God is calling a leader and the church to do, or a business, Right? Leaders are successful in leading God's people to commit themselves to do a good work for God, will have a clear vision of the work that God has called them to do. Phil Knight had a crazy idea in the early 1960s. He decided to sell imported running shoes from the back of his station wagon in Portland, Oregon. As an auditor, he was financially astute and figured he could make money by purchasing shoes from Japan and selling them in the United States. His shoes were improved in the latter part of 1963 when he was joined in his venture by his college coach. Coach William Bowerman modified the imported shoes to make them better. Now Nike is worth billions of dollars, but their startup investment was just 1000 When it comes to a vision, just do it. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. He gets the vision, and now he's going to implement that vision in time, in time. Next, leaders are successful in leading God's people to commit themselves to do a good work for God, will overcome obstacles that are placed in their path. Verses 14 and 15. Now he's viewing the wall. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. Did you see what happened? He's viewing the wall. He's making his trip around the wall. But he comes to a place where there's so much rubble that the animal on which he is riding cannot continue. So there was an obstacle placed in his path. Now what's he going to do? Is he going to just give up on his vision? And just go home and say, I can't do this because I have an obstacle in my path. He gets off the animal and goes on foot and overcame the obstacle that was in his path. Any leader who's going to be successful in leading God's people to do God's work in this world will have to overcome obstacles after they have the vision. Because when you have a vision, doesn't mean you're not going to have any problems. We have it in our minds of what we would like to accomplish for God, and it's so clear. And then all of a sudden, when you start implementing that vision, obstacles come. And how are you going to respond when the obstacles come? Do you give up? Nehemiah didn't, and that's why he was successful. Okay? Thirdly... Leaders that are successful in leading God's people to commit themselves to do a good work for God will reveal the vision that God has placed in their hearts at the appropriate time. Verse 16. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, interesting, interesting. He had the vision, he overcame the obstacles, but he didn't let the people know what the vision was until he did all the obstacles that he could see out of the way. There was an appointed time in which the vision that God placed in his heart was revealed to the people. If he had done this earlier on when he first got there, he would have caused more obstacles and more opposition to his vision. He waited for the timing until he did the other things first. Sometimes leaders may see the vision before they get the appropriate people around them, before they get acclimated, right? They get it all out of joint. Nehemiah does everything in its proper time. And revealed the vision that God had given him to the people at the appropriate time. There is a time frame with which we have to be time sensitive as leaders. As you share people with Jesus Christ, right? You're leading them to Christ. What do you do? You want to talk to someone? Is this the right time? Should I wait? You know, timing's important. You have a vision of someone, a a family member who doesn't know Jesus. And you want them to know Jesus. And you're concerned about when do I approach them with this? How do I approach them with this? Timing is important. A successful leader will be sensitive to the timing in which you reveal the vision that God has given you for a task that you believe that they have called them to. Now, after the vision aspect is out of the way, now the author is going to point to how do you, how does the leader relate to people? Because you're going to be leading with people. You're going to be leading people and interacting with people. And so how do leaders interact with people? How does a a leader relate to people in order to get them to do a work that God wants them to do and be successful at it? Number one, leaders that are successful in leading God's people to commit themselves to do good work for God will identify with the people they are called to lead. Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. He doesn't say you have the problem. We have the problem. He's identifying himself with the people that he is leading He's narrowing the space and the distance between him as a leader and the people whom he is called to lead and serve. Identifying with the people that you're leading is so important if we expect to be successful in leading them to Jesus or in any endeavor that you may find yourself in. Secondly, leaders that are successful in leading God's people to commit themselves to do a good work for God Speak the truth to the people they are called to lead, even when it is hard to hear. Verse 17 continues. He says, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. He wants the people who are living in Jerusalem, living among this desolate place, this wasteland, to look at it. That had to be so difficult for the Jewish people to look at their problem. Leaders have to be seriously honest with the people that they're calling to lead, even if they may not want to hear it. You may not make friends as a leader. The job is to be faithful to Christ, to be truthful to his word. That's the responsibility of a leader. And sometimes to be faithful, you have to be painfully honest with the people that you're calling, that you've been called to lead. He's telling people, look at this stuff. You've been living in this and you haven't done anything about it. You've got to look at it first. You've got to touch on that root that is sensitive to the heart. And unless you're willing to do that, you're not going to be successful in getting anyone to do anything. That's why Nehemiah was, Nehemiah was successful. He spoke truth to the people. And honestly, do we think that everyone wants to hear truth? What do you think? No, they don't. I don't sometimes want to hear the truth, depending on what it is, if I'm honest with you, right? It's just human. But a leader will be bold enough to tell the truth and speak the truth. And that's so important. That's why he was successful. Thirdly, leaders that are successful in leading God's people to commit themselves to do a good work for God will be committed to taking definite action with the people they are called to lead. Continuing once again in verse 17. Come, he says, and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach or a disgrace. He's not telling people what to do. He says, I'm going to do this with you. I'm going to come alongside and lead with you. Advice from Ross Perot about how to treat your people. Did you ever hear Ross Perot? The name from the past, huh? former presidential candidate. He says this, and he was a, he's, a great, he's a leader. Never ask anyone to do what you haven't done before and wouldn't do again. That's a pretty fundamental rule in leadership. Treat them like you treat yourself. Things you don't like, they don't like. You don't like to be jerked around, they don't either. You don't like to be talked down to, and they don't either. You would rather work with someone than for somebody, wouldn't you? So would they. That's what leadership is. Nehemiah was not afraid to roll up his hands and do the, the work that may, may, maybe some leaders think it's above them now, right? Be willing to do... I remember when I first, uh, when I first uh, did my, um, my internship in Connecticut, my very first day, There was a, we were outside and we had a a gathering and a truck rolled up, a dump truck with mulch. And I had some nice clothes on. It was my first day on the job. And the truck uh, backed up and they had mulch. They were going to mulch a swing set they had just installed for the kids. And there was, and uh, they dumped the the mulch out and I ran over and grabbed the rake and I started raking, getting my shoes all dirty and everything. And when they saw that, they didn't know me that well, but when they saw that I was willing to get dirty and just grab a rake, it made a difference. I wasn't just some pastor who's, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm a pastor. I don't do stuff like that, okay? I'm not trying to toot my own horn. i just, It's just an example that popped into my head. But it made a difference, and one of the ladies came up to me and, and, and said so because they don't know you from Adam, but when they saw you were willing to do a task that they think that maybe pastors wouldn't do, or leaders wouldn't do, it changed their view of the leader. And it made them more willing to do what the leader would want to do because they saw the leader doing it themselves. Nehemiah was like that, and it, caused him, uh, it led him to be successful. And fourthly, leaders that are successful in leading God's people to commit themselves to do a good work for God will give words of encouragement to the people they are called to lead. Verse 18. And he says, and I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they strengthened, then they set their hands to this good work. He encouraged the people. He's trying to get them to do what God wants them to do and rebuilding the walls and make Jerusalem the city that God intended it to be. And he told them about, the first thing he does, I want, you to sh- I want to share with you what God has done in my life and what he's done in me when I was in Susa. And he answered my prayer. He's encouraging the people, showing them what God has done in his own life. And there's nothing more encouraging than testimonies of people, uh, particularly leaders of how God has been working in their life to encourage the people that the God, is working, the God who's working in your life is the same God who wants to work in your life as a community to accomplish God's work in the world. And he also encouraged the people by saying, hey, the king is now backing and supporting what I'm doing. Before he wasn't, but now he is. So now he's encouraging the people. He's encouraging them. An encouraging word goes a long way in getting people to do what God wants them to do. And the result was, hey, let's do this. They put their hands to the work. So he was successful in leading God's people to do what God wanted them to do because he outlined all of these steps in his own life. Oh, but he's not done. Because what happens to a leader when the work begins? And there's two points. What happens to a leader? What should a leader do once the work of the kingdom is beginning and a particular, a particular, uh, uh, a particular vision is being uh, flushed out and now it's being um, uh, practiced, it's being carried out? How does a leader respond when the work of the kingdom is ongoing as it is now? Leaders that are successful in leading God's people to commit themselves to do a good work for God will stay focused on the mission at hand and will not allow themselves to be distracted from the work that God has called them to do. Verses 19 and 20. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, They laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? They're ridiculing him. They're mocking him. What does the leader do when he's being ridiculed or mocked? Watch what he does. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. He doesn't fall into the trap when he's ridiculed of responding to a ridicule with another ridicule. He stays focused on the task that God has called the leader to. And oftentimes when a leader becomes successful in what God has called the church to do, they get opposition comes and they get ridiculed and they get sucked into the temptation and they answer ridicule with ridicule and then they get off focus And they no longer accomplish what God has called them to do. Because now they're caught up in a squabble. Leaders who are successful when the work begins must stay focused on what the task is. And too many leaders today in the church and in politics have lost that. They're too concerned about defending themselves. And they forget why they're there. They lost sight of their task And they get sucked into this. And they lose their effectiveness as leaders. Stay away from the social media. When you're getting in arguments and ridicule. Get out of it. It doesn't have any benefit as a believer. And it affects our ability to lead others to Jesus. And finally... Leaders that are successful in leading God's people to commit themselves to do good work for God will not compromise the truth. Nehemiah 2.20, finishing. But you have, he says to them, Nehemiah says to Sanballat and Tobiah, you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. This is legal legal language. You don't have any jurisdiction or right to rule Jerusalem. You have have nothing to do with this. He wasn't going to compromise the truth. He knew they had no part in it. He could have compromised. Okay, I'll let you have a share with this as long as you stop giving me a hard time. You wouldn't compromise. A successful leader when the work is ongoing does not compromise the truth of God's word. Never. It shouldn't be done. This is what made Nehemiah a successful leader. And these are the principles that will make, will, if they're followed faithfully, will make you and I successful leaders as well, regardless of what God has called us to, whether it be a pastor or whether you're a deacon or whether you're just someone in the church who is called to be a light to this world. A light is leadership. Really. And when we implement these principles, we will be successful in getting people to do what God wants them to do. Ultimately, that's to be in relationship with himself. Nehemiah has shown us what it's like to be successful as a leader. And if we do this, we will have that same success. It's those stately geese I find especially impressive. Winging their way to a warmer climate, they often cover thousands of miles before reaching their destination. Have you ever studied why they fly as they do? It's fascinating to read what has been discovered about their flight pattern as well as their in-flight habits. Four come to mind. Those in, f- in, those in front rotate their leadership When one lead goose gets tired, it changes place with one in the wing of the V formation and another flies point. By flying as they do, the members of the flock create an upward air current for the other. Each flap of the wings literally creates an uplift for the bird immediately following. One author states that by flying in a V formation, the whole flock gets 71% greater flying range than if each goose flew on its own. When one goose gets sick or wounded, two fall out of formation with it and follow it down to help it and protect it. They stay with the struggler until it's able to fly again. The geese in the knee, in the rear of the formation are the ones who do the honking. I suppose it's their way of announcing that they're following... And that all is well. For sure, the repeated honks encourage those in front to stay at it. As I think about this, one lesson stands out above all others. It is the natural instinct of geese to work together. Whether it's rotating, flapping, helping, or simply honking, the flock is in it together, which enables them to accomplish what they set out to do. That should be the church whether you're honkers, flappers, leaders. A leader is going to take all the differences, the different personalities, the different points of view, get people together for a common goal to do God's work, his good work for the kingdom. We need leaders like that today. You're a part of that group as I am. A different, a different role to play within that, within that service, but it's still a leadership role. May God grant us success as we work together to accomplish God's purpose and his vision here at Countryside Coveted Church. And may he raise up leaders that will help spearhead that, spearhead that vision and make it into a reality. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of all gods. You are our leader. And as you prepared leaders for, your, uh, for the time when you are no longer going to be here, you're still in the process of raising up leaders today. And it is my prayer, Lord, that we will live into our calling as leaders, as believers in this world, in this community. We pray that you would give us a clear vision, exactly what you want us to do, and to implement that when the timing is right. Lord, help us to be like Nehemiah. People, a person who was a a person of vision, who was bold, was fearless, and implemented the task that you had put in his heart to do so. Lord, we need leaders today. We need leaders in the church We we need leaders in our nation. And we pray, Lord, that you would put the vision in their hearts and give them the courage to step forward to accomplish the work that you have called us to do. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we follow your lead as you guide us uh, ever so wisely in the world in which we live. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen.